My goodness gracious, 1 p.m. here on the East Coast. Guy Adami here. I'm always joined by Dan Nathan. It's May 18th. It's Wednesday. By the way, my favorite Adams Family character was clearly Wednesday, without question. They have the N in the wrong spot, but I digress. In just a few minutes, I can't believe it. I don't know what they call it. Like when things line up, it just all works out. I, I Kismet, I guess. But John Butters is joining us, senior earnings analyst at FactSet. You can't have a better day for him to come on. Today's episode is brought to you by, in fact, FactSet, financial data and analytics powered by tomorrow. And we are powered by Open Exchange. Catch them on Twitter at Open Exchange TV. Well, Dan Nathan, it's been a lot going on since last Thursday's bottoming, that little reversal on Thursday, big rally on Friday. We'll talk about all those things, but what are we seeing here today specifically? Well, you know what they say, guy. You know what you get when you try to pick a bottom. You know the answer to this one? You know what you get when you try to pick a bottom. No, I'm not familiar with that. Stinky fingers. Stinky fingers. And I think that's what's going on here a little bit. It was kind of interesting. You know, we started the week and we really wanted to focus on Walmart, Target, Lowe's, Home Depot, some of these earnings. We talked about them on Monday. And and you and I were fairly well convinced that this was going to be a fairly enlightening sort of set of reports. I don't think either one of us thought that Target would be down 26% in one day following its disappointing earnings and guidance the way it is today. Walmart, what was that guy? The largest one-day decline in Walmart in maybe 30 years yesterday after their disappointment. What I find so interesting, Guy, though, about these reports, and, and if you saw the CEO of Target, Cornell, on Squawk and Friends this morning on CNBC, he basically said they're getting it both ways here, man. So, like, yes, supply chain and inflation and all that disruption is definitely hurting them. It's going to be, you know, a billion dollars towards their cost this year, but also some of the consumer behavior has really changed. What was your take on that? Because that is stagflation in a nutshell. And the CEO of Target just went on national TV and said it while his stock was down 20%. Well, you Jaws fans out there, Dan said 30 years, I'll say 35, because it was 1987. (laughs) And I know you know the scene, number one. Number two, first of all, I got Walmart and Target dead wrong. I thought Walmart was set up for a nice bounce post-earnings. Clearly, that didn't happen. And what I said on Fast Money last night, and I absolutely believe this, I said Doug McMillan, who's the CEO of Walmart, is praying, although he would never admit it, is praying for a similar outcome from Target because, as they say, there's sort of safety in the foxhole being together, and that would prove that Walmart wasn't specifically a Walmart thing. I will tell you, though, the Walmart quarter was a disaster. I don't know where that inventory build of 32% came from. We discussed that last night. That's just poor execution. But then Target comes out today pretty much mirrors what Walmart said to a large extent. And then you have to start to ask yourself, Danny Moses, who's probably watching right now, were you prescient in talking about stagflation last summer? Because to Dan's point, the last two earnings releases specifically from these two behemoths has been extraordinarily disappointing and points to exactly that. And just quickly, because I'm on a bit of a rant here, because that's what I do. If any of you out there think a 30, 35% move, single day move, in a stock the size of a Walmart or Target is normal, think again. These markets continue to be broken. 
The bond market is broken. And that, to me, speaks to a VIX that's not nearly high enough. Back to you, Dan. Yeah, well, I'm glad we hit the VIX early in the week because here we are back near 30, guy. And it looked like it was going to get towards 20. I think that was, you know, just if, if the rally had continued to go, but it didn't. And, you know, to your point about that sort of move not being normal. I mean, listen, we could explain some away some of the moves during the pandemic, given all the liquidity. You've said this, Nostradamia, on many occasions. I mean, you pull away the punch bowl. And this is what happens when you disappoint and when you disappoint big. And we have not seen too many big disappointments. Yeah, a handful Netflix a few weeks ago, we saw it down 35%. You know, but I think that's kind of coming to a theater near you. I think as companies now start to see that if they surprise the street, if they don't start speaking to them over the course of the quarter and kind of letting out some of the body language, you're going to have these one day gaps. And they're really hard to kind of come back from. When you look at this target chart, though, guy, you see see that parabolic move, you know, from early 2020 from those lows in the pandemic. And it made a double top last year. I know you were all over that. Tried to make a new high just a couple months ago. Couldn't do it. Here we are. Are we going to be back at 150? Maybe. And let me let me ask you this. You know, estimates are still coming down here. Okay. So let's say Target ends up for this current fiscal year with, I don't know, high single digits expectations for earnings growth and mid to low single digits revenue growth. And maybe those are both a bit high. Well, the stock trades about 11 times this year, 10 times next. Is it starting to get interesting to you, maybe at like 150? Look, I thought it was interesting prior to this release. You know, Walmart was trading at basically 21 times next year's numbers, yeah. which is probably in terms of Walmart cheap and when compared to where they've been for the last five years. And then Target was a pretty steep discount to that. So, you know, I thought if Walmart was going to be okay in terms of price action, I thought Target certainly would be. And I was wrong not only once, but twice. So is it interesting here? Clearly, it's cheaper than it was, and it is cheaper on valuation. Sometimes stocks go down, and they're actually more expensive. In this case, the stock is significantly cheaper in terms of valuation. But can they overshoot to the downside to that 150 level? Why not? We've seen things like this before, and we saw it with Netflix. A lot of people tried to buy that initial dip off that earnings release. That proved to be incorrect. And we're seeing it with a lot of different stocks right now. The point of that matter is like these stocks should not, maybe they should have never been where they were in the first place a few months ago, but you certainly shouldn't see 20, 25, 30% moves in the course of a few hours. I mean, the mechanism is broken. So here we are. Now that is indictment of the consumer. I think it's starting to be. I mean, I think you have to start to look at it and say, you know what, if this market continues to sell off, to me, all consumer confidence is, is an overlay of the S&P 500, which we also will take a look at. Yeah. And if it starts to break down, I think people will stop spending on a dime, Dan. Yeah, and I do think today's price action in the market is really interesting. You have an S&P now down 3% and you have a NASDAQ down close to 4%. I mean, that is just, you know, if it's just on this news, just on this target news, it it just makes it very clear to me that investors are starting to get the memo, the sort of things that we've been talking about. We're going to talk to John Butters about this too, that S&P earnings estimates for this year are still way too high. It's one of the reasons why you you look up and you see Apple down 4.3% today. I think this Target and Walmart, this one-two punch is really making that clear. Here's another area, guy. I got to tell you, we talk about a negative wealth effect when the mm-hmm. stock market is going down. You know, we're talking about home builders here. Look at the price action in these things. There was some data out today showing that construction slowed. You can explain it away that you can't get labor or labor's too high or, you know, like raw goods are too high or this and that or whatever. But don't for a second try to tell me 
that it's not because demand is slowing, okay? If every other industry that benefited from these weirdo things that went on during the pandemic, whether it be migrations, whether it be liquidity, whether it be work from home, whatever it is, that home builders are gonna be immune from it. And I just think when you look at this XHB, the ETF that tracks the group, it's going back to those Feb 2020 highs before the pandemic. And then the other one, I gotta get your take on this. Look at Lennar, it's the largest home builder by market cap. It is basically back towards those levels. It feels like it's going below it. And when you look at that and you think about what we've been through over the last two years and what the Fed is trying to do to avoid right a recession, I mean, maybe they're trying to avoid it, maybe they're not, but to avoid runaway inflation. And you say to yourself, I don't know, man. It feels like housing is really in jeopardy right here. And I don't mean like 2007, eight style, and you know, in the aftermath of that. I just mean that we overshot to the upside. We're likely to do it to the downside. Like what you did there. Our love is not in jeopardy for you song fans out there. I'll say this in terms of home builders. Today's Wednesday. Monday night, we had Joe Zidal from Blackstone on CNBC's Fast Money talking about housing. He made some, I thought, really strong points. Doesn't matter, you know, what I think, but that's what I thought at the time. And my comments were clearly they're talking their book, but you want them to because Blackstone has become basically the biggest player in the real estate market. Dan pushed back and said, you know what, he doesn't see anything's happening. And now some of the data supports your thesis from Monday night. So good for you. In terms of the stock, you're right. Lenar, I think, is a $20 billion market cap, Pulte Homes is half of that, but we are here at a critical level. Past resistance becomes support. You see the green line. You see when it was resistance way back when. You see it is trading there now. But things seem to want to overshoot here. And I got to tell you quickly, and we're going to look at the S&P chart, I know, but on Thursday on Fast Money, I remember like an elephant most of the things I said. (laughs) And as you know, Dan, I'm wrong a lot of the time. But on Thursday on the show, I said, look, the price action today, S&P traded down to 38.58, traded up to 39.30 or something where it closed. I said, you're probably set up to see a 4 to 5% move in the S&P to the upside off of that price action. Well, yesterday's close, Dan, to the penny was a 4% rally from that Thursday close. So sometimes these things work out. But this action over the last day, day and a half is not particularly good. No, not good. And I just want to make one point about the Blackstone chief investment strategist. I mean, where I took issue is, listen, I have no idea what's going to happen with the housing market. It just feels like if every other sort of risk asset that benefited from low rates and just some of the, again, some of the the weird action during the pandemic, there's no reason that housing should not. But what I took issue with, Guy, is the fact that he doesn't see unemployment going meaningfully higher. And we are basically right back towards the lows, the 40-year lows that we hit in unemployment at the pre-pandemic. And we're at 3.6%. And I don't know about you, man. Every day, I'm seeing different corporations, both large publics and small Mm -hmm. privates, cutting jobs. And I just don't understand how that adds up. I think unemployment is going higher. I think housing is getting softer. I think the stock market has not bottomed out yet. And all of that with the backdrop of slowing growth and high expectations for S&P earnings, I don't love it. Let's go to the S&P chart year to date, though, guys. This one is going to be really interesting. You know, we've been in this kind of move from the late March highs. We had that huge rip right after the Fed's March meeting. It really bottomed before that. And then we've been just kind of upper left, bottom right. The two circles I have here, they're kind of more ovals than circles here, guys. Mm. Look at those moves, okay? They're kind of these counter trend moves. 
They're just not particularly forceful here. And I feel like we just had another one of those, to your point. Curious when we've had such a sharp peak to trough decline, okay, in about six weeks, and the bounces are just anemic. What does it make you think? Because to me, man, if we go through last Thursday's lows in the next few trading days, I think you're going to see correlations go to one all the stuff that you think should act well in this market, it won't. And then you're going to see a VIX well north of 30. And I think you're going to see some alarm bells go off. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. So 38.58 for you playing our home game. That was Thursday's low. If you want to be exact, I think it was 38.58.85 or something with the decimal. But that doesn't matter. But it closed through there. And you're set up for that overshoot to the downside. Again, you know I've been saying 37.50 just in terms of the math. And we'll talk to John Butters in a minute how I got there. But markets overshoot to the upside and they're overshooting to the downside. To your point about the ovals, Dan, are they anemic? In retrospect, some of these moves absolutely are anemic. But when you're in the midst of it, when you're in the midst of a six, 700 Dow point rally, it certainly feels pretty powerful. And everybody is jumping over themselves to try to be the person to call the bottom. That's not particularly interesting. Obviously, Mark Haynes did it many years ago. There are not a lot of people that have the, basically the foresight to do it. And I'm clearly not one of those people. When it gets there, I think we'll sort of see it in terms of capitulation. I just don't think we've seen it yet. Yeah, we have not. I agree with that. And, and, and again, you and I have been talking about this for months now. It feels like that the earnings estimates for 2022 are just too high. John Butters is going to come on and talk to us. But I just before we do this, this chart, guy, and you've been calling for 37.50. And really, you know, if the consensus estimate is for $230 in S&P earnings, you want to use too the 10-year app. Yeah, it's way too high. So let's cut that in half to 5%, throw 215, okay, 215 in earnings times 17, which we know from earnings insight from FactSet that drops every Friday. 17 has been the 10-year average. It gets you to 36.50, okay? It gets you to 36.50. If that number is more like 210, I mean, listen, just keep multiplying it, 917, because in this environment where rates where they are, there's no reason that the S&P should be valued at more than the 10-year high, in my opinion. Should we bring the man in to kind of break this little feud? Can I do it? Because, I mean, I I, I don't think anybody digs him more than I do. I mean, you know, maybe as a media family family i, I, I guarantee think, I think yeah you know i'm high on that list but without further ado that's a french <laughs> word by the way the aforementioned john butters i mean seasons upon us the earnings seasons that is wrapping up talk to us about what you've seen what dan and i were just talking about and some of the charts you brought with you jb yeah, well thanks guy thanks dan thanks for having me on so yeah interesting talking about the price action one of the the trends we've seen this earnings season is that the market's punishing positive surprises and punishing negative surprises. So when we look at the companies that have reported positive surprises, the average price decline has been about half a percent. Over the last five years, typically we see about a 1% increase. And for companies that have reported negative surprises, it's been even worse. The average price decline has been about 5%. Over the last five years, the average decline has been about 2.5%. So the market, and it's interesting because this earnings season, you know, if you look at just the earnings numbers, has actually been not that bad. It's been about average. So it's interesting that you're seeing more, uh, you know, the, the market punishing positive surprises and punishing negative surprises. 
Well, to your point, John, I mean, just look at Home Depot. I mean, you know, it was really interesting because yesterday morning before the opening, we had Walmart. It was clearly like worse than expected. And just the tone wasn't great. Home Depot, and you just heard us talking about home builders and some of the trends. I mean, I would have thought that one would have been one where they might have actually had some more cautious commentary. The stock opened up 5%, was down on the day at one point, closed up less than 2%, and it's down 5.5% today. So to me, what this tells me is that investors don't believe it yet. And I'm just curious, you, you know, you heard us talking about where we think S&P earnings are likely to end up. Give us a sense for like what your work is telling you at this stage of the Q1 earnings cycle. And are we like to, and here's another thing. I kept on hearing a lot of people yesterday saying, how did Walmart not pre-announce this quarter? And people are saying it this morning about Target. Are we about to see some pre-announcements? We are midway through the second quarter here. And as we get into the first week of June, remember how semiconductor companies used to do mid-quarter updates in the first week of the third month of a quarter? Are we likely to see earnings downgrades, some negative pre-announcements? Well, you know, it is interesting. Most of the guidance does come out in the first month and month and a half because typically companies will give guidance in conjunction with earnings. And I think one of the interesting things, and this might be an argument why some of these growth numbers might hold up, is that the guidance really hasn't been that negative so far, you know, aside from some of the examples you point out. If we look at the aggregate numbers, 80 companies have given guidance for the second quarter, 55 have guided down, that's 69%. And on the surface, that seems like a high number, but the five-year average is 67%. So we're not that far off the average. And we've seen that number as high as 70, 80% in previous quarters. And if we look at annual guidance, so now you're looking at guidance for the full year, you have a larger sample of companies, about 250 companies give annual guidance. 56% have guided below the analyst estimates, but 44% have guided higher. So again, we have these, these examples of certainly companies that are guiding lower or should have gotten get punished. But in aggregate, it's about little just, you know, about 50-50, about, about a little bit more on the negative side in terms of guidance. So we're not seeing a wave of negative guidance yet. Now, like you said, that could be coming, although that might be not something we see until we get into the next earnings season, because we're probably outside of next week. The guidance numbers tend to quiet down because companies, aside from a few big quarter updates, we really don't get a lot of commentary in the third month of the quarter that really kick in again into the next earnings season. You brought some slides along with you, which sort of illustrates some of the things we're talking about, and we can probably scroll through, but quickly. You know, you heard Dan and I talking about what's the right multiple in this environment. You've been doing this for a long time. Reversion to the mean seems to be 17. Can that overshoot also to the downside? I mean, how low could it possibly go in terms of what your work shows you? Yeah, well, I mean, it's interesting. Well, the the bottom key in the most recent nine years was 13. We hit that back in March of 2020, and then we came back up. But what is interesting, and then if you want to make you know, one of the arguments that the numbers are too high, that we do need to see those numbers come down, is that over the last few times we've seen economic downturns, excuse me, the market has been ahead of the estimate revision. So back in 2020, we saw the market go down. We hit that P of 13, and then you know, the estimate, downward estimate revisions happened shortly after that. Same thing back in 07, 08. Again, the market started down, you know, going on a downturn, and it took a little while for the analysts to catch up and bring those numbers down. So in the past, we have seen we've had these pivot moments when we've gone from you know economic strength to economic weakness. The market has gotten ahead of that and the revisions have followed. So is that the case now with the market being down and the revisions still being, you know, not going down quite as much yet? We'll have to wait and see. But that is a yeah. point you can make to argue that these numbers are too high for the second half. 
Yeah, and listen, John, I'm not asking you to opine on this. You know, Guy and I, I've been on the street for 25 years, and Guy's been on for, you know, close to 35 years. And, you know, there used to be this inclination for analysts to kind of get in front of things, right? Like not just be sheep and kind of go with the pack. And, and when you look at Walmart and Target and you look at these results, the fact that there weren't enough cautionary commentary about what might happen because, again, when you see it, I mean, you know, Brian Cornell was asked the question on Squawk Box this morning, are you trying to push through some of these increased costs to the consumer, right, whether it be shipping or all these input costs that are going in? He didn't even try to answer the question, you know, and then he pivoted to that the consumer's trading down from higher price items to more consumer staples. Look what, what's going on with the consumer staple stocks today, right? And so this goes to my point where I just I just think it's really interesting how lazy a lot of analysts and strategists, they basically end up just chasing their own tails. And Guy used the expression earlier, you know, they're just kind of tripping over themselves after the fact to do this. So I guess my question here is that, Apple is down nearly 5% today, okay? They put up a good quarter and a good guidance, but they had some cautionary comments. Now, if I'm an analyst covering the stock, I'm doing my work here and I'm saying, listen, my estimates for this current quarter are probably too high. And if things continue with China lockdowns and the war in Europe and the consumer here slowing a little bit, then my next quarter, Q3 estimates are gonna be too high and they get in front of it. You know, so my question is, I know that was a long ramble here, bud. You know, I don't give analysts a hard time back in early 2020 because we were in a black hole. No one knew what was going to happen, but they should be able to model what's going on right now. Yeah, no, that's a fair point. And again, if we look at Q2, we have seen the numbers come down for Q2. So we were at the beginning of the quarter back on March 31st looking for a 5.9% growth. That's down to 4.4% growth today. So we have seen estimate revisions come down for there. And it is interesting when you look at the second half of the year, That chart we had up earlier showing that the growth rates have maintained about 10%. It is a little deceptive in the fact that through the first three weeks of the quarter, those growth rates are actually going up or those estimates are going up. Over the last few weeks, we've seen them come down. So we've leveled off back at where we were at the start of the quarter, but we were seeing the estimates continue to go up into the first three weeks or so of April. Over the last couple of weeks, we've seen them come down again. So we've we've leveled off the way we start off the start of the quarter, but now where do we go from here? Do those numbers continue to go down and we start to see the Q3 and Q4 numbers come down? Or now that we're getting to the end of the earnings season, there's not going to be much more commentary. Do we level off and basically stay at those expectations? We'll have to wait and see. So when I first started in the business, there was a publication that we were all required to read. I would sort of fake my way through it. But that, of course, would be the Wall Street Journal. And they had a piece heard in the street talking about how economic recessions are rare. I guess that's a fair word to use. But you know, in terms of corporate earnings, you see these things a little bit more frequently. And, you know, this is what this is sort of what we're talking about here, John. You know, I don't know what leads what I don't even know if it matters. But can you sort of speak to this? Because given what we're just hearing, we're probably on the precipice of something exactly like this in terms of an earnings recession. Yeah, I mean, it's not it, it is not. I mean, certainly earnings declines happen more frequently than the economic recessions. I mean, we just had it in 2020. And and they do happen from time to time. So again, it wouldn't be surprising to see that happen. It's just interesting that I think there's some competing data points here, like we talked about on the one side, you know, as we've touched on today, analysts, you know, certainly tend to be overly optimistic. They tend to miss the pivot points mm-hmm. in the economy. They're probably not baking in a lot of the interest rate heights going forward. And we, we talked about this last time. They'll, they tend to be reactive to those types of events. So those on that side of the equation, certainly that, that would 
that would support the argument that we're looking at earnings that are too high for the second half of the year. But on the other side, and we just talked about this, like I said, the guidance from corporations hasn't been particularly negative, at least at the end of the aggregate guides at this point in time. And the other factor I'd point out as well, is we look at the, the industry, they're expected to really drive earnings growth in the second half of the year. You're looking at oil, gas, and consumable fuels. So we know oil prices have been elevated for quite some time. And then it's travel and airlines. So again, that would go to your point. If the consumer is starting to pull back, do we see them pulling back on vacations and travel? Yeah. There seems to be a lot of pent up demand for that, but we'll have, you know, maybe, maybe they're pulling back on goods, but not pulling back on services. Again, we'll see how it plays out. Well, with the, but three of the industries that are really expected to drive growth are energy, you know, the oil and gas, airlines, and the hotels, restaurants, and leisure are expected to be three of the drivers of growth in yeah. the second half of the year. Yeah, good luck with that. I mean, l- listen, if the stock market is telling me anything right here with Expedia making new 52-week lows today, Airbnb making new 52-week lows today, we keep hearing about all this pent-up demand. You know, sooner or later, I mean, it's just it's just regular demand. And if it's lessening because people are worried about that R word that seems to be looming as a recession, if corporates are worried about that. I'm telling you that Brian Cornell today should have put the fear in God in most C-level suites of like who just got through this earnings period over the last few weeks and weren't as cautious as they could have been here. So to me, I think this was a really pivotal week for where we are as it relates to expectations for the balance of the year for both earnings and the markets. Listen, John Butters, thank you very much for stepping into this arena. We get to quote your work every week, Earnings Insight, John Butters. You can find it. He's a senior earnings analyst. You can find it on FactSet on their website, that sort of thing. So sign up for that. Thank you, John. Great. Thank you, guys. Appreciate Before it. Before you go, JB, I have a question. I mean, have you become like, you know, you sort of revered now within the halls of FactSet? Now? You got to meet. Well, now? I know. Now more, more than ever. Let's put it that way. I know you were prior, but, you know, people probably just walk around just saying butters under their breath, I would think. Well, it's all a credit to you guys. If you guys weren't promoting oh, my work, I, you know, I'm down here. In, I'm down here in the basement. I'm not even in the office anymore. So uh, <laughs> I appreciate appreciate how much you're promoting the charts and promoting the work. So much appreciated. Thank you guys, and uh, thanks again for having me on today. Well, thanks, look, we kid, listen. I kid around a lot, but I will tell you, and I know you know this. Your work is extraordinarily thoughtful, and it's for us. It's amazing that we have access to it every week. So thank you for what you do, and thank everybody there, FactSet, for supporting us as well. So thank you, John. Great. Thanks again. So, Dan, I mean, you know, I just got a phone call in the midst of this from a radio station in California. It's sort of the 1010 winds of the L.A. area. It's called KFI. And they've called me about four or five times over the last three or four weeks. And each day is on these huge down market days. And the point of me bringing that up is not that I'm some radio big shot because I'm not. (laughs) It's people are looking at these things. And I'll tell you, it's really important. When the populace starts to look at market declines, they start to say to themselves, should I be spending money on that trip, on that coffee, on that car, yeah. on that whatever? And when they start questioning those things, that's when consumer confidence and consumer spending turns on a dime, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of the point. And, you know, you and I have been talking about it here. And, you know, I, I was I was going back and forth with a friend of mine this morning who's not in the markets, but he invests on his own. And we were talking about different levels for a bunch of stocks that I think makes sense to start picking on at these things. And, you know, again, I mean, you know, I try to stress to people, we have no idea when things are going to bottom out. We have an idea what values should be paid for different risk assets at different points in the market. But putting this all together, you know, like it was always going to be the case. If you thought we we're going to have a rough 2022. Remember we started out the year? Remember how 
good balance sheets were for consumers and how flush they were with cash and all this sort of stuff. Well, that is the, the case until it's not, I think is your mm-hmm. point, right, Guy? And so stock market going down 3 or 4% a day like it is today, that scares the crap out of people. And then all of a sudden you're like, ah, shit, I really should have financed my house when the 30-year mortgage was below 3%, and now it's at 5.5%. And now you start hearing that people can't sell their houses. They're not cash offers. They're not open houses with people lined up at the door and this and that, whatever and people start making different decisions. You know, I mean, I think that's the point. We got Cisco real quick. Just take a look at in the last sort of 90 seconds. We have report after the bell tonight. As you mentioned before we came on, a huge amount of their earnings are obviously international. We'll see. We'll take a quick look at a Cisco chart to see where it's been and where it is now. The implied move down 6%. Can you speak to this? Again, I look at this and say the setup is good, but I've thought that for a number of stocks and I've been proven to be wrong. Yeah. And listen, Guy, I mean, you try to be optimistic here. Here's a stock that's a cheap stock, good balance sheet. They've been in, you know, it seems like no shortage of different reorganizations here trying to get some things right. I think the main point is this, okay, is that 40% of their sales come from overseas. We know where the dollar is. We know that large parts of China are shut down. We know that large parts of the European economy are massively disrupted here. It's not going to be a good quarter and it's not going to be good guidance. And even if they tell you that it is and that they're optimistic, it's not going to be. Let's just my personal take. I don't mean to sound so negative here. So everything that I look at this, other than its valuation, its balance sheet, and maybe this is a company that always usually executes, not always usually, you can't really say that, can you? Usually executes well in difficult environments. It's just not going to be good enough, even despite the valuation here. So again, sorry to be so dour here, people. I want to be constructive. I am picking at some things on the way down. I just don't think we are there yet. Real quickly, guy, on the NASDAQ chart, Mm -hmm. the NDX, Take a look at this baby here. You see the lines that I drew here. If you get back all the way down to that Feb 2020 high before the pandemic implosion, we're right in a really important support level, but there's an air pocket down to there. I agree. And those are the right lines. I mean, right in the middle of this, again, this level where we should sort of trade sideways at for a while, but you break through that lower green line. And again, I mean, that ultimate level of support You have a bullseye on it, and I think you're right. Again, not to be all doom and gloom, but we're trying to point out what we've been seeing. And quite frankly, I'll say, not to pat ourselves on the collective back, but I think we've done a damn good job. But that's it. (laughs) Butters is the man. I dig having him on. Dig having you on. Dower, no dower. Um, (sighs) Check out John Butters' work. I mean, he does tremendous stuff. We point it out all the time. I want to thank our sponsors, FactSet. Obviously, we're powered by Open Exchange. Tune in tomorrow, 1 p.m. Dan will be joined by EY from SoFi and, holy bleep, Carter Worth of Worth Charting. (laughs) Later, peeps. See ya.